Today's episode of the Mets Up Podcast is sponsored by Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. First off, that's huge. And that's what we use here on the Mets Up Podcast. I highly suggest it. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your own phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other streaming services. And you're allowed to make money from your podcast from day one with no minimum listenership. It's literally everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So make sure you guys download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. What is up, Mets Up listeners? Back here for episode number 80, 80 of the Mets Up podcast. Of course, I'm your co-host, Giraffe Neck Mark, Mark Luino, here with James Shiano. Jeter had no range, talking about everything that's gone on the past week in New York Mets world and New York Mets baseball. And just like the last episode, we actually have baseball games to talk about. We have stats. We have players. We have so many things that isn't the lockout to talk about. I'm so excited that baseball's back. I know James is as well, so make sure you guys are following us on all our social media, at MetsUp. You'll be able to find us on Twitter, Instagram. You'll be able to find our YouTube channel, MetsUp Podcast, as well, where we're dropping full episodes of the pod, as well as some little short clips here and there for you guys to take in and enjoy. Make sure you're listening to us, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen, you will be able to find us. Drop us a five-star rating. Drop us a review. It really does help us out. If you drop us a review, we'll give you a shout-out in the next episode. That's You heard it here first. And let's bring in James. James, how you feeling? I'm feeling really good, man. But it's kind of annoying that you keep bringing up the, the old times, the sad times of the offseason. Talking about, oh, we have, we have baseball again. I know we have baseball again. We're going to have baseball for the foreseeable future. While well, you have to announce it every episode. I just like to remember the dark days so that we appreciate the days that are currently coming. Because boy, oh boy, how great has it been to watch Mets baseball? Amazing. I think today, Sunday when we're recording, hopefully Monday when you guys are listening, this was the first real taste of Mets baseball that we've had yet. Like We've had a couple spring training games. DeGrom and Scherzer each had their own days last week, but today they were together in what was such an unbelievable spectacle on on, SM, on Picks 11. We love to talk about juice on this podcast. We're big on juice. We're pro-juice here, and pro I don't juice. think that there's ever been a spring training game that has had as much juice as what happened today. I'm willing to say it. That's the most hyped, buzzed spring training game of all time. I agree with you. Even just the activity on Twitter for the Mets Up podcast. We, we were picking up followers, tweeting videos. It was great. I mean, like Scherzer and DeGrom... Seemingly, we'll probably never pitch in the same game again. I want to talk about that. <laughs> there was like a, there could be some kind of magical situation where maybe they're both on at least three days rest, and this could be a formula to win a game. It's kind of hilarious. Well, I think like probably in the postseason, that's more realistic. I would yeah. think, or like that last game of the regular season against the Braves or something. Because let me tell you. This is them in spring training, and they were pretty impossible to hit. Imagine when these guys got some real innings underneath underneath their belt. They're pitching at home in City Field. I mean, this is going to be scary. These two guys were on today, and I don't even think they necessarily had their best stuff by any means. It's still the second, third start of spring training for these guys. Yeah, DeGrom said he'd scaled it back a little bit and was taking it easy, which is really funny because he was like effortlessly sitting 99, but he didn't even go one, even half of a mile an hour over it, which is beautiful, the fact that he's reined it in that much. And Gary and them were even mentioning that uh, they were saying that he was like working on new things today. Jacob DeGrom today threw as many curveballs as he threw all of last season. Four. For some reason, he's just working on the curveball. And it's not like an astounding curveball by any means, but it's still Jacob DeGrom throwing a curveball. So the pitch looked great. I think I remember him getting like Lars Newt looking with one. 
maybe someone like that. Oh, but he just he looked so effortlessly amazing. It was beautiful to watch. Yeah, and I, we saw him also sprinkling a curveball in his first start as well, which was kind of a joke too because I think Scherzer told him, "Why don't you start off the game with a curveball?" And what does Degrom do? Drops one right <laughs> in there. They're laughing. The vibes are immaculate with those two. They are absolute gamers, and they showed it today. Like you said, Degrom's ability to just be able to not throw 100 miles an hour but throw 99 when he's not giving full effort. That's so crazy because this is a guy, we say it all the time when he first came up, this is not the pitcher that he was, and now he's able to relax at 99. That's like that's not something you see from anyone. <laughs> no, literally no one else in baseball. Because usually the 99 guys, you're like really hoofing it. Like Edwin Diaz throws 99. He's like screaming. His body's failing. DeGrom's just having a catch at 99 miles an hour with Tomas Nito. And then, I mean, we should also, we got to give Scherzer some shine too. Because having a six-inning save in a spring training game is something that I don't think I've ever seen before. And it's something we might never see again. He like just bum garnered it out for the, the end of this game. I just can't even wrap my head around pitching six innings in a spring training game. I like, I legitimately, I feel like the most I've ever seen in the game is five innings in spring training. And that's usually your last start before the regular season. Scherzer just casually went six, 85 pitches or whatever it was today. And he really was like, he gave up an absolute nuke to Anderson Tejada, which I never thought he could hit a baseball that far. But like Scherzer always does, he was clinical, he was dominant, no one was really hitting the ball well against him. No, I also want to shout out Dylan Carlson and Harrison Bader. They both had some good at-bats against DeGrom. Harrison Bader had one good at-bat against DeGrom. Dylan Carlson had two, which, again, whenever someone can get in the box against either of these guys and, and make themselves look competitive, it's you, you got to tip the cap. And the Cardinals team has some good hitters, a lot of which didn't play today, but it was just it was just so crazy. I, I hanging out right now with one of my friends who's a big Mets fan. I was like, what's the plan with the pitchers today? Because we were trying to, like, straight navigate how much mess we were going to watch before the basketball started. And he was like, DeGrom for three, Scherzer for six. And I laughed. I thought he was joking. <laughs> it turned out to be true. Dude, how, do you think that the Cardinals hitters like Arenado, Goldschmidt, who weren't in the lineup today, were just like, yeah, we're not playing against these guys in spring. Yeah, There's no way. Fuck this. Like, imagine you're like fifth, sixth spring training game, and you're like, I have to see DeGrom and Scherzer, two of the five best pitchers in Major League Baseball. This is my second week in Florida. This isn't fair. It's also fucked up for like the prospects, the double A, the triple A, the quadruple A guys who are coming into a spring training game in the eighth inning, usually expecting to see like, the 23rd best pitcher in the team's organization. Max Scherzer's on the mound, five innings hot. Juan Yepes is fighting for a, st- a spot on the team, and he's like, I got to go up against DeGrom and Scherzer today? Are you kidding me? That's an O first. Chalk me up. I mean, Juan started, but like some of the names that came in for this Cardinals game that were facing Max Scherzer. Connor Capel, Delvin Perez, Ben DeLuzio, Pedro... Pedro Pages or Pedro Pages probably like Kramer Robertson like these are not <laughs> these are not guys who are going to be contributing in the Cardinals major league roster and they had to deal with Max Scherzer today in the eighth inning of a spring training game for God's sake and of course it's worth noting too that Max Scherzer did pitch against the non-major league team and DeGrom didn't go up against the strongest Cardinals team but still the mm-hmm. stuff that they were able to have this early in spring they were spot on I mean they were missing a ton of bats they were getting a lot of pitches they were commanding the zone everything looked really good from these two guys and I think Ron and Gary and even Todd Zeal they both or all three of them mentioned that DeGrom at times last year, you could almost see that the, you know he was wincing, he was you know making some stuff with his elbow. They're like, he looks extremely comfortable out there, and that's a really encouraging sign for Mets fans. He looks extremely, extremely comfortable, and he looks very the H-word, the H-word that rhymes with uh, felty. But like, I don't really want to ever talk about it, because like, it happened in the winter, it was bad, but no one talked about it. And now we're in the spring, and things look good. I still just don't want to talk about it. I just want to look every single fifth day, see DeGrom on the schedule, be like, all right, good. Let's do it. We can't wait for the next time. Yeah, no, those those guys were incredible. But I will say, what was also really nice to see today, too, is that on the hitting side, the Mets' bats were alive from the start. It was great to see. 
Pete smoking baseballs, Lindor a couple homers. I mean, it felt like everybody at some point did a little something that made you get a little happy. Yeah, that missile from Pete was like one of the 25 hardest hit balls I was recorded so far this spring. 110 off the bat, just right. Like I don't remember who has out in left field, but just Burleson. Burleson, Alec Burleson, who's a decent, decent bat, not a very good yeah. glove. But that was light work for Pete. And Lindor just hitting two home runs, sending the haters into an absolute tailspin. One from each side of the plate, just like the Yankee game. Looks really good, Lindor. Yeah. I know this happened last spring, too. Like, he did look really good last spring, but boy, oh boy, does the Lindor redemption tour look so good right now because his swing is comfortable. We saw him. He was still taking pitches well last year. His plate discipline improved, as we talked about all last year during the podcast. But he's now hitting for power. He now looks extremely comfortable at the plate. And I really hope he can ride this into the regular season. Because if we get this version of Francisco Lindor, I, that's that's incredible. That's the guy we paid $30 million a year for. Especially stacked on top of this version of Pete Alonso, who's secretly one of the best hitters in baseball, but doesn't get the credit for it because he's a little bit of a doofus. Because he hits like 250. and But like... Even at the end of the day, his his patience at the plate has been phenomenal as well, this spring training, I feel Dude, like. Both of them. And again, it's hard to put so much stock into the spring training results, but at least the fact that these guys are smoking the baseball against not the best pitchers in the world, that's a very good spot to be. Lindor, even with the two home runs, he roped another single in like the eighth inning or something. And he just It was a rocket. A lot of really, really high exit velos for Francisco Lindor. You pair that with his plate discipline, that's a good recipe for success. But this is also such a... A non-issue, I feel like, for most Mets fans. Because most Mets fans know he's like still just a really good player. Like He had two bad months last year, and it was awful. And then he had a very good three months with an injury in between. Like He's still a very good baseball player. Even even at the level he played last year, he was still super useful. And now we're going to—that was just by far the worst season of his entire career in the prime of his career. Like There's no reason for that to continue. And I think everyone's going to remember that Francisco Lindor is very clearly an upper echelon player in this league. Oh, without a doubt. And I can't wait to see what he does this year. And then we also got our first little taste— of Starling Marte playing right field, took a couple swings, got a double. Starling Marte looked pretty good. He looked pretty good for what we saw of him. He did, and it was funny because when he came to the plate in the first inning, playing right field, batting ninth, I feel like Ronnie and Gary, in addition to myself, like we kind of figured there was going to be like an easy game for Marte. They were even thinking like he was just going to have one of those games where he stood in the box and didn't take any swings because of the oblique issue because he like kind of aggressively took the first two pitches. And all of a sudden, he just ripped a big-time swing, and then he took his hacks. He had a double, I think, the third or fourth inning, second time he came up. He looked good. It just was weird to see him batting ninth, especially in terms of if he was actually healthy. But it was nice to see him on the field. Yeah, especially because, like you said, he took those aggressive takes. Like He, he showed bunt at one point. I was like, okay, yeah. he's probably just going to get some running in here or there. It's he not was like about putting his elbow into it. Yeah, he was putting his elbow into it. It's not about the swing state. It's about getting out there, getting a feel for the game. But we saw him take some hacks. We saw him hit a double down the line, which was nice. He was running incredibly well, which is something that Starling Marte brings to the Mets that we've lacked the last few years, is this incredible athlete who runs the bases so well. I don't know if you picked up on it, but they talked about it on the broadcast today when he was on second base after his double. He's taking a look around. He's looking at all the outfielders, seeing where they're standing, understanding their positioning. And then I don't remember who it was that hit a little soft line drive into center field, but Starling Marte off the crack of the bat took off, scored a run. And like, yes, the spring training doesn't matter, but those are the little things that you don't see the Mets do the last few years that can make the difference in a game. And it helped extend the inning. It helped get a run on the board. It's no longer first and third now. It's for, man on first, and you know you scored a run. It's a huge advantage having him out up there. It was Canna who got that RBI hit. Nice, yeah. Another guy I want to mention today f- for two reasons. Just Tomas Nido. One, he had a very nice opposite field home run. That seemed like the type of early season power. We saw Nido kind of sneak in the beginning of each of the last two seasons. And he's a guy who I think we both think could be as good, if not better, than James McCann, the incumbent starting catcher. And I think it was very meaningful that he 
caught all nine innings of these two pitchers. Yeah, I think for Scherzer and DeGrom, they're probably going to lean towards Tomas Nito, especially with the numbers that came out last year about how good he was defensively and how good he was at framing. He was one of the best in the league, even in his small sample of games played. And especially with McCann, who... He's better defensively than he once was, but he's still not at the Nito level. And when their bats are relatively similar, why not go with the guy who's going to give you more defense at this point? Yeah, and again, also, I don't know. I don't remember Nito did have that back thing, but I think that was proven not an issue. Like, he's still working out. Just the fact that Tomas Nito got down there in the floor of the heat and caught all nine innings for the best two pitchers in the staff, I think kind of shows his standing with the team internally. Well, he's definitely not the sexiest player. He's not going to be an offensive threat or a powerhouse or anything like that. Getting seven homers from him and like 400 of the bats probably would be a decent decent outcome. The fact that he is trusted by these guys to sit there and catch all nine innings again in the hot floor of the sun of a spring training game, that even more rare than a guy pitching six innings in the spring is a guy catching nine. And Tomas neither doing that, I think, shows, again, his, his level of importance within this organization. Oh, I, I actually didn't even know he caught all nine today. I thought uh, like one of the kids came in at the end for that last inning. Caught all nine innings. That's, yeah, that no, that's insane. That's insane in a spring training game, especially like for a guy who is kind of a crucial part of this team. I know he doesn't make a huge impact, but he's one of the two catchers that's going to go out there every day. You are right. A guy named Nick Meyer caught the ninth inning. Okay, so he caught eight. Oh, wow, what yeah. a difference. <laughs> yeah. But also it was interesting because Alvarez came into this game as a DH, Francisco Alvarez. We're going to talk about his moonshot in probably like four or five minutes, but he came in and didn't catch. I kind of would have liked to see him catch Scherzer for one inning instead of, instead of Nick Meyer. Yeah, it would have been cool. I think Nick Meyer's probably someone who they value as maybe a little bit closer right now to the majors than Francisco Alvarez in terms of actual catching ability. Um, but Francisco, even the other night when he caught, looked pretty good. But like you said, we'll talk about him in a little bit. There's still a lot more from this game. And something I want to talk about that has got my gears grinding is Robinson Cano. Holy shit, that guy is toast. I've seen enough. I do not need to see Robinson Cano on the field at all this year. We kind of knew this was something that was possible going into the year. He hadn't played in the season. Steroids, the last time we saw him play, like, oh, he's playing well. Yeah, because he was juicing. He was like 25 years old instead of 38. And he didn't look that great in the winter league. I'm done. I'm done with this guy, and I got the numbers to back it up. I just he's he's so done. He stinks. He's horrible. Well, Mark, I actually will have you know. While I'm not the biggest Robinson Cano fan, anyone listening to this podcast can tell me the ground the ground ball double play he had today was at 108 miles an hour off the bat, which that means something. That's something. The fact that he's capable of doing that means he's alive. See, I knew you were going to come with the exit velos, and I'm pl- I've prepared. I have notes okay. today. I've I've written down notes. I've got all his exit velos from all the games. And here's what I'm going to tell you. You know what happens when you get older? You can still hit the ball hard on the ground. But as we sure. know, this is a Young Bucks game. you got to hit the ball in the air. you got to hit line drives. you got to hit home runs. Hitting the ball hard on the ground does nothing for us. Josh Bell shows that every single year. Hits the ball hard on the ground. Doesn't do anything. Eric Hosmer is a shit first baseman. You want to know why? Because he doesn't understand hitting the ball in the air is better than on the ground. And while Robinson Cano does know that, I think, I don't think this is a conscious thing, I don't think he's physically able to hit the ball in the air. And here's why. Here's why I'll tell you. Game one of this spring training, he hit two balls in the air, both under 95 miles an hour. It's horrible. That's terrible. Yeah, he was one for two hit. in that game. Not hard hit. Game two of spring training for him, three balls in play, hard ground out, 104.8 miles an hour, 100%. That's a hard ground out. Congratulations. Good hit. He had two flyouts in that game, 82.5 miles an hour, which is despicable, and 99 miles an hour. A cool 275-foot fly ball. Wonderful, Robinson Cano. How about game three? I got more for you. Three balls in play. Please. Two ground outs. They weren't even hit hard. 92 and 87 miles an hour. And the ball that he hit in the air was 87.8. And then today, game four of his spring training season, 
Three ground outs, one single. Woo! Wow, wonderful. 107, 101, 82 on the ground outs. And the single he got that he hit in the air, 75 miles an hour. Ooh, Robinson Cano, man. Watch out. He can hit you a hard ground ball. But can he hit the ball in the air for anything? Absolutely not. He's dead. He's toast. I'm... It's crazy. It's going to be criminal that he's going to be hitting fifth in this lineup every single day. I'm going to scream at the TV every night. Can I tell you something really funny about Robinson Cano? A little information that I've just picked up from playing fantasy baseball over the years. Hit me. He's notoriously, for his career, very, very not good early in the season. He's always, always been a slow starter. I don't know if that's just like the way he prepares or Robinson Cano in his career is a below average hitter in the months March, April, May, and June. All of those months, he has an OPS plus of less than 100. And then once he gets to July, August, September, October, just it goes up from there. So I think this Robinson Cano, I don't even know if he's going to be on the team by the time they make it to his general hot months. And also these hot months were when he was not a 40-year-old man who hadn't been out of baseball for a year and a half. But Robinson Cano, I do remember just from having him on fantasy teams over the years. He's a notoriously slow star there. Yeah, I'm sure he's waiting for the Stannis all to kick in. It probably has like a half-life of like two months or something, and then he's ready to go. It's like one of the best-case scenarios for this team is to get the guy back on the stuff. Because we can get the two months of production and then get him out. Oh, God, how great would it be to get him juicing? Get, like you said, the two months, and then have him banned from baseball. That would be sick. <laughs> End his career. End his Four, career. $24 million a year for the next two seasons. Two. Granted, Seattle covers four of it, so $40 million over the next two. Oh, wow. wow. Can't believe we're paying this fucking guy. It just sucks, and I'm a, I'm a broken record. I'm beating this drum over and over again. But him taking the roster spot from someone who could just be useful somewhere else is such a big detriment to this team's success. It's terrible, especially the fact that we're going to get these extra roster spots for the month of April and can't even really use those to the best of our advantage because we have this 40-year-old guy who can't hit a fly balls. Like, oh, God, I just, I'm so done with Robinson Cano. He's going to be the guy that I scream at the TV for all year. I've got a feeling he's going to be in this lineup way too much. He's going to be hitting way too high. I, I wish Buck Walter would show him the least bit of respect and hit him like ninth if he's going to be in this lineup. Hit him after McCann. I mean, <laughs> I don't even want that. I would have to split those guys up. So that'd be a double play machine if those guys are back-to-back. It'd be awful. But he just does have the respect, and he is going to be a lefty bat, and it seems like he is playing with the starters ahead of Dom Smith right now. So I just don't think there's any way that you're not going to see him like hitting fifth, fifth or sixth on opening day. He should be hitting Eduardo Escobar, who has looked great this spring. He has great at-bats. I'm, I love Eduardo Escobar. You know how high I've been on him. He's an extra base hit machine. There's nothing that gets me going like a good double, and he just hits the ball to all fields. He hits it with some power. He takes good at-bats. I've loved everything I've seen out of EE. Mean, yeah, but hilariously, Eduardo Escobar is not yet hit a ball over 105 miles an hour with the spring. And Robinson Cano's, I think, three now. On the ground. On the ground. True, sure. Eduardo Escobar, I had this debate with my friend I'm staying with right now in uh, San Diego. He hates Eduardo Escobar. I don't love Eduardo Escobar, but Eduardo Escobar is just a good player. And the type of pl- contact-oriented player the Mets have not had many of over the last few years. And you can also just see how much the rest of the guys have gravitated to him this spring. The fact that he just plays passable defense at third base, he's going to hit like he's going to be like five percent better in league average. Like that's fantastic. Just keep the line moving, and uh, and the line's going to have to be moving because it's the Cano thing is bad, and it's the fact that he's starting is even worse. Yeah, it's it's not it's not good. It's not good. That's like the there's a lot of Mets fans who feel like there's a lot of holes in this lineup right now. There's a lot of issues. Like there's a lot of additions that weren't made. They feel like this team isn't deep enough. I think the starting lineup is pretty strong outside of like those last two hitters right now, which are in theory Cano and whoever's catching. Yeah. And again, it's not that the starting lineup is that bad. It's just the guys behind them are don't really fit together. We've been saying this for months repeatedly. And Gary mentioned today during the broadcast that the brain trust, and I'm quoting Gary Cohen on that, had a long meeting last night into Sunday morning. Because I think either tomorrow, Monday, or Tuesday, there's another round of roster cuts. Basically the last round of the second to last round of cuts. 
and they're going to have to cut probably a lot of these fringy outfielders and Francisco, sadly, that are going to not be able to make this roster over a guy like Robinson Cano. Yeah, it stinks that he takes up a spot. That's what $20 million a year will do. You you just have to play because otherwise we're paying you to play for another team. Literally. But let's, let's, keep, let's keep wrapping up the spring training stats and we'll get to more roster construction things. Because Chris Bassett pitched on Thursday. He looked fantastic. Saw Mets Twitter was really, really jacked up about him. Because I think most people in the Mets universe have probably never seen Chris Bassett play ever. Ever once. <laughs> I, think that's, I think that's fair for a dude who did most of his work out in Oakland. Of all the West Coast teams, Oakland playing in the AL West is something Mets fans I don't think are particularly familiar with. Same thing with Canna and Marte at times. Yeah, exactly. Unless you're like a fancy baseball like lunatic or just like a degenerate who's going to throw the A's game on at midnight. Like you've probably never seen Chris Bassett pitch. But he just has got a great curveball, keeps the hitters off balance. I think he's going to become a fan favorite here very, very quickly. We've said it from the start. He's going to be the Marcus Stroman of this this rotation he's gonna go out every five days he's gonna give you six seven innings he gave us five in his first spring training start with five k's that's chris bassett baseball right there he's gonna be a 1k per you know a 9k per nine guy all year long you almost said 1k per nine would stink yeah no that'd be horrible that would be horrendous <laughs> we faced two of those guys today in dakota hudson and jake woodford oh jake woodford that poor it's guy bad. he's just got nothing he's terrible but the cardinals the whole cardinals pitching staff has nothing but they just throw him out there and say well, probably we got great fielding behind you so there will be outs you still you still have to get a hit if you're playing baseball it's still really hard i felt kind of bad for matthew Libertor today we had a lot of starters in against him and they kind of teed off they went off on matthew Libertor. he is not particularly ready i think for the majors just yet he probably will be being triple a this year but again bassett big thing another guy i really liked from thursday this was the game that was not on tv but luckily there's a a really good account on Twitter called Pitching Bot, who's been compiling all the information you can and getting guys like pitch effects for these spring training games. And that was Eric Orze. Orze? Orze? I think it's Ors. I don't know. I don't, I'm right. not sure. But he was a, what, I think like fifth round pick in 2020 MLB draft out of yeah. University of New Orleans, I believe. Yeah, and he was intended to be a reliever. And he's been being developed as a reliever for the last few years. I think he got up to double A last year and got pretty good results. And on Thursday, apparently, he was sitting 94-95, which is higher than 93 he was sitting the week before. And apparently, it's a very good changeup with a slider, and he throws a variation of that slider, like with less less slide, more velocity, more for soft contact. And he's a reliever who will probably get to AAA this year and could contribute on the Mets. I think people should keep an eye out for Eric Orze, just like your boy Colin Holderman we talked about last week. Yeah, no, these the Mets have a, a nice little grouping of these younger minor league arms that can now step in, and it's not going to be like some of the absolute bums we've seen in the past that have come up. These guys have some legitimate stuff. No more Jeff Hartliebs. No. But me similar to like Yancy Diaz last year, who you acquire as a guy who close to the major leagues. Forgot about Yancy. Yeah, he's. I think he's still involved. He's in the yeah. mix, right? Oh, he's definitely. Yeah, yeah. They, he's tons of options. Him and Reed Foley too. Like those guys are going to be here for a bit. Yeah. So Orza is probably going to be in the lot like Yancy, where if things get really ugly by June or July, you might see him for an inning or two. You could be like, oh, this guy's not that bad. I remember James telling me about him in the Messed Up podcast. And then of course we got to talk about. The moonshot heard around the world by Francisco Alvarez. Holy fucking shit, was that ball destroyed. Yeah, our boy was trending on Twitter. He hit that ball. It, the sound it made was like that of a gunshot. And then it <laughs> hit the fucking scoreboard. And, like, he took such a violent swing. I man, I can't wait to see this guy in the Mets in a couple, like, in a, in a season or two. He's going to be so good. It was, again, you also mentioned him being behind the plate. Cause I think that's probably the biggest thing that's keeping him from the major leagues. It's pretty obvious he has a major league bat right now. The fact that he hit that ball 440 feet and 109 miles an hour. Do we know who it was off of? Uh, it was off of Marlins, like, minor league guy, okay. so it's relatively Still to fine. his... Yeah, it's relative yeah. to his skill level right now, but I think it's also funny to mention that he said he was going to hit a home run that night, and he did. I Are fucking love it. His confidence is through the roof. You saw it with our interview. He's just... He's got star written all over him. He's definitely swagged out for sure. And again, he, it's very clear that he can hang with this 
with this kind, these, this caliber of players. He's going to start the year in Double A. There's a chance he moves through quickly, and there's there's probably an outside chance, like a ten percent chance, we see him in the major leagues this year. Oh, definitely, especially like if someone were to go down, or if somebody was really struggling, or if he's just on such a tear that you're like, we got to see if this guy can make an impact right now. We've seen teams do it before. It would not be out of the question to see a little Francisco Alvarez sighting at some point in Queens. Definitely. And the existence of the DH makes it even more likely. Yeah, especially because of his catching stuff. But I will say this. He did look good in the game that he caught. He was Definitely. framing the ball well. He looked solid. I think a lot of people are pleasantly surprised at the development Francisco Alvarez made seemingly this offseason during the lockout and everything because he was working hard. He was with a lot of major league players this offseason. And you could just kind of see it in like his body. Like He's very bouncy back there. You're like Francisco Alvarez, again, met him, but he's very like, um, I don't know, even though he's like built like kind of like a fullback, like he's very lithe. Like he has a lot of, he's on the balls of his feet. He seems like he can like, just a very explosive person and player. That makes him such a good hitter, but that's also a reason that he can stick behind the plate. And Fangraphs has him as a 45 like slash 55 there. So it's not like he's a disaster. We have a guy who can catch. It's probably just not his calling card, which for a 20-year-old kid, that's really not the end of the world. No, and especially when he swings a bat like that. Like If you can get the offensive production that we expect from Francisco Alvarez, a catcher, you kind of don't really care about what he does behind the plate. I mean, the Yankees were trying out Gary Sanchez forever, and he wasn't even that good of a hitter at times. And it was still more valuable than putting out Kyle Higashioka every game. Yeah, Higashioka's actually showed some good power this spring. I think he has multiple home runs. Oh, he crushed the home run off of our favorite pitcher in baseball, Brad Hand, which I love yeah. to see him struggling. He, he had another one today, too. That was, yeah, that was good stuff. But the last thing I want to mention about spring training, like stats, data, info, in that same game on Friday that uh, Alvarez hit the bomb, Carlos Cortez laced a double 109 miles an hour. He's a guy, again, we've been talking about on this show for months. He's going to be in AAA to start the year. He doesn't really have a position, but this Mets team might just need a bat at some point, and there's a good chance that we see Carlos Cortez get some at-bats, possibly kind of early, depending on what, how he looks in comparison to Mark Vientos and how many at-bats are really available. He's a dude who would have been great to take that Cano spot as the last guy on the roster because yeah. he can play a little second base and he plays the outfield as well, which is just kind of what the Mets need right now, a little versatility at multiple positions. He'd be perfect if he's ready, which... Seems like he's getting closer to being ready. The bat seems pretty ready. Like he's dominated every single upper minor stop he's ever been to. He's gonna go triple A next year and he's probably gonna hit pretty well. And then from there it's almost like what what more can you do? And Cortez also has like a bit of a shorter swing than some of the guys we've seen like Khalili and Nick Plummer, where he seems like he would be more able to attack that high high velocity fastball, especially up in the zone, which is the biggest difference I see between triple A and the major leagues right now. The guys sitting in triple A just don't have ninety six. They can't put it up. Cortez kind of has a body type and a swing that looks like he can be able to get to that if if he needed to. Yeah, no, I mean, the, the Mets, I feel like the guys that we know about, feeling really good about it. But then, like you said, that depth right now, while we did technically improve, there are some things that feel a little bit incomplete. And you mentioned that they had this big meeting of the brains. You mentioned the roster cuts. You mentioned everything. I mean, is there is there something that you think the Mets need to do right now in order to make you feel better or maybe make Mets fans feel better about this team going into the season? What I think is going to happen is that because we have this 28-man roster, the Mets are going to use that roster spot for an extra batter. I feel like almost every single team in baseball is going to use that those two spots to add two extra arms and carry like 14 or 15 pitchers out of a 28-man roster. But the Mets just have this locked and loaded five-man bench of Dom, JD, Nito, Cano, Guillaume. So I guess that's actually only technically a four-man bench because one of those guys will be in the lineup every day, theoretically. Uh, theoretically, yeah. Yeah, I guess theoretically one of them has to be. But that's still basically five, I would say, bench-caliber players. Maybe JD and Dom can hit enough, but I don't know if they can play the field enough if it's available to them, whatever. And there's no real backup outfielder in that mix. So we're almost well, definitely... Jankowski, I think. That's what I was about to say. Travis Jankowski is almost definitely going to be the guy who gets that roster spot in, besides an extra pitcher. 
and we'll just be end up carrying 13 pitchers, which again, it's not really the worst thing in the world. But he, he's also he's a major league baseball player. Like he's fast. He again just loves to hit the ball on the ground. But he plays good defensive center field, and just they better fucking like use these guys. Like pinch hit for somebody in the fifth inning if there's a, if there's a different pitcher on the mound, your matchup's different. Or like there's a guy on base and James McCann's coming up in the seventh. Put someone else up there, either Dom or JD, depending on the handedness of the pitcher, and then bring Nito in the inning after that. If you're going to have a big bench, use it to your advantage. Don't just let these guys sit in the pine for three days in a row. Well, there's a good chance too that maybe they carry a third catcher, so it could be. It, I feel like I haven't seen anything of Mazika. Where is he at? He was definitely around the beginning of spring training. I, don't, I have no idea where he's at, but he, he could be the option too, that third catcher. But then you get that third catcher on there, it's just like, I don't know if he can give you anything with the bat or the glove. For sure. Yeah, I'd rather just bring another one of these outfielders up, up here who can yeah, run. No. I, I was just thinking more of that pinch hit, pinch hit situation where like McCann or Neo come up late and you want to get a different bat in there. At least if that next guy who comes in has something go wrong, we're not putting Jeff McNeil behind the plate, who's our emergency catcher, as we know. Yeah, definitely. But the just kind of feels like as the Mets close spring training here, one more week of games coming up, that there's like a, just like a gigantic Michael Conforto-shaped hole in the middle of this roster that no one's really talking about. And it has absolutely no steam whatsoever. And it's kind of shocking how quiet that front is. Well, you know, we got some uh, information that Conforto might not be the biggest sabermetrics guy. And that came out in like the, you know, Chili Davis article, all that kind of stuff that there were some guys around the team that maybe didn't like to listen to all the information and stuff that was being given to them. We also know possibly about a little unvaccination stuff, which could be a problem, although now it's cleared at City Field, so it shouldn't be that big of a deal. But it feels like... Like you said, Michael Conforto would, would slot in really well somewhere with this team. That left-handed bat would do some damage here. And I think it is so bizarre that his market is just seemingly non-existent because he's at worst, like a league, a better than league average hitter. Like we saw probably one of his, sure. worst, his worst seasons last year and he was league average. And that was like a pretty awful, awful season of his. So it's crazy that no one seems to be interested in them at all because there's teams around the league that need him more than the Mets. So really, at the end of the day, is it just the Mets playing like a little hardball? Like, we're going to wait it out, and we're going to sneak in and get you here for dirt cheap when you have no other options. His worst season since 2016, which was a bad year for him. He had to get a little bit of that sophomore slump when he was 23 years old. But since 2017, he was no worse than 19% better than league average in terms of WRC Plus in any complete season. And of course, the 54 game, 2020, maybe he played a little bit inflated, a little bit above his skis. But this is a guy who... It's just so clearly not bad, and I think that other teams in the league have the issue of whether or not they're going to give up a draft pick to sign a guy short-term, because I think that Scott Boris is probably still trying to get Michael Conforto the type of like four for 80 deal that he thinks is even le- less than his value anyway. In, in truth, it actually might be, but those teams probably don't want to do that, and then they also don't want to give up a draft pick for a guy they're only going to have for two years. So it's almost like we're getting to this forced marriage between Michael Conforto and the Mets that was almost like... That it's just like it does. It doesn't really make sense for anyone besides us. As crazy as that sounds, but then you also wonder if other teams around the league are also aware that he might be a bit of an ornery fellow, and that that could also be something that pushes you away from a contract. That could be a reason that the Mets internally haven't even entertained it. But at some point, he makes this team vastly better, and I wonder. I wonder if we're going to hear anything about that this week. Yeah, and his contract would be super interesting too, because Castellanos kind of got the contract that you expected Conforto to be similar to that, like five year, hundred million, twenty million a year. And then you saw Jorge Soler, who got the three-year, $36 million deal, I think, from the uh, Marlins. So he's kind of in between those, because he's not going to get the Castellanos money right now, and he's not going to get as low as Jorge Soler. 
So is he like a one-year 15 million? I mean, he's, I feel like Conforto's probably eating crow a little bit here and should have taken that qualifying offer at the end of the day. But I think that offer is probably still relatively on the table. Like, I'm sure they just would say, like, if you want to come back, one for 18, exactly what we offered you before, and then just keep going next year, ride it out. And the Mets just lose an opportunity for a pick, but I'd rather have a guy who's probably going to slide in and be one of the better outfielders on this team, a team that's starving for one. And then you could push, you could have a rotating DH between Canna, Nimmo, and uh, Marte, especially as Nimmo, we know, is not always the most healthy. And while Marte is getting more healthy, then it kind of makes it a little more competitive for the Cano JD Dom. You're not really relying on one of those guys if you get Michael Conforto. And I think everyone can agree that Michael Conforto is a better hitter right now than probably JD, Conf- uh, Dom, or Cano. Yeah, and even if you combine them and you hit Dom against righties, JD against lefties, Conforto, I think, is still the better player. And also, you could just, with these two left handed outfielders, I think Ken has a righty. You have the great platoon partners between JD and Dom for whoever is not the DH that day. Like it just this entire roster becomes much more whole with another very solid left-handed bat who can play the outfield on it, and he seems to be the one. Yeah, no, he he would fit really well. The big question though is, do the Mets feel that? Do the Mets see him as the guy? And like you got to imagine Sandy, who he brought in Conforto, right, Sandy? I think it was probably one of his drafts, yeah. You got to imagine that Sandy's probably fighting for him. And you got to imagine that it seems like maybe Epler's not as in. Again, this is all speculation. We have no actual proof whatsoever. But just thinking about how this organization works, Epler and those guys came in. They wanted to start new. And Conforto was kind of a bit of the old. And especially if he was pushing against all this new information. We know that he didn't like when Keith Hernandez was giving him tips back in the day. So maybe he is a little bit stubborn. Maybe he doesn't like to hear what he's doing wrong. Maybe it's an attitude issue, but... As a player, he really does help this team. His last year was so out of the blue compared to the rest of his career. I just simply won't believe that that is anything close to the norm. It's the red herring. And, like, if he does sign somewhere else for, like, three for 50, like, someone's going to get a deal. And it would just, it seems like it would behoove Michael Conforto so much to take a one-year deal and try and recoup most of his value. Like, it'd be so easy for him to recoup his value. Even if he's just, like, solid next year, he's not the 130, 140-WRC guy. It's even just, like, a 110 or 112 guy with competent defense. He'll get himself something close to the Castellano contract next year. Like, it's highly possible. That's exactly what I was going to say. He's 29 years old. Play well like we've seen him play, and he's going to get in between that Schwarber-Castellano deal, I think. And I, I, like, I won't even be—most teams won't even feel that much of an issue to give it to him. He just turned 29, too. He's, he, was, he was 28 two weeks ago. Yeah, like, there are so many teams that need him, like the White Sox. You would think the White Sox would be all over Michael Conforto. You'd think the Padres. They're on some weird shit. The Padres, I think Voight kind of filled that void for them. And the team that makes the most sense is the Blue Jays. And we saw the Blue Jays make a trade to free up some money last week when they sent um, Randall Gritchick to Colorado for Ryan Tapia. But if he's not vaccinated, he just can't play. Yeah. So, like, it, that kind of takes that team completely out of the equation. One of the teams that seemed like they'd be the most aggressive. The team that could really use him, he would, whose team he would change the bottom line the most, is the goddamn Cleveland Guardians. But they've spent exactly $0 this, this offseason. <laughs> they haven't spent anything. The A's have spent. The, the A's made one move and it was bringing back the name Two. we won't mention. Two. The name we won't mention and Stephen Vogt. Oh, okay. Forgot. Oh, can't forget yeah. Stephen Vogt. No, Big no, move. no. The two starting ball players, Mark. Big you missed them. We might be able to pay Stephen Vogt. <laughs> yeah, probably. Probably scrape together the funds. The left-handed catching platoon. But just like there's teams that are going to sign him, but it just seems like no one wants to give up the draft pick and pay him money for multiple years. So again, it seems like we're just we're just slowly dragging out to this deal with the Mets. Unless Conforto wants to pull the crazy Boris move and wait until May, a very good player gets injured or something somewhere, and then he gets a three year deal worth for their sixty mil. Gun to your head, does Michael do the Mets sign Michael Conforto? I low key start to. Th- I'm thinking kind of yeah, maybe. See, I, like I I feel like they would have already if they were going to that's the only thing that's making me say no but like you said 
if this team really if this team is trying to be smart and trying to really win now talk about a move that would make this team a lot more scary Michael Conforto to this lineup makes it a hell of a lot deeper, a hell of a lot more strong, and just especially against right-handed pitching, great right-handed pitching lineup. I don't even think, yeah, I don't even think scary is the word. It's just, like, solid. Like, he just really adds to the floor. He's, like, that kind of oatmeal we've been talking about for a while. Like, all the projection systems that kind of run baseball nowadays, especially in terms of these front offices, they all think about Conforto is going to be, like, at worst, 15% better than league average. And the most favorables have him 23% better with 23 homers, 75, 75, 12% walks, 21% strikeouts, 260, 360, 460 slash. That's like, because we wanted the good, that's a good player. This guy's going to be worth between two and a half and three wins. We're talking about Robinson Cano hitting 50. Put Michael Conforto right in that five spot. And all of a sudden you're like, whoa, hold on a second. Hold on a second. This lineup just got very strong. No, yeah, Michael Conforto, it still has fucking ceiling. Like, Michael Conforto, he probably had his best season. It was that year when he, when he fucked up his shoulder and ruined it and the 60-game 2020. Like, he's, he'll probably never get to that level again where he's hitting, like, 290 with 35 yeah. home run power. And in 2017, he played 109 games. He had 27 homers and he had 280. It's crazy. That's super good. That's amazing. Like, God, but it's, there's something. there's still more in that bat. And the way he ended last year, most Met fans see him as, like, a leper. And it doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, even at times last year, you could probably find some clips of me saying, get this guy off this team. I'm done with Michael Conforto. I feel like every Met fan did that at some point. I don't think we wouldn't even have to look hard. But I've had the exact, I've had the exact same tune about this guy the whole time. Like, he's still good. Ah, <laughs> oh, man. I mean, listen, I think as Mets fans, it's really refreshing that the problem that we're talking about right now is whether or not we should be signing Michael Conforto as our fourth outfielder slash DH option, something that Mets teams in the past did not have an issue with. I think he's better than Canna. I think that pushes Canna out of the fourth outfield DH. You're a Canna hater, man. I'm not a Canna hater. He's good, but Michael Conforto is better. I don't know. I think Canna is better all around. I think offensively, Conforto has has a little bit on Mark Canna. I think they're very close. Defensively, Canna's very, very good in the outfield. I don't think that he gets talked about how how good he is in the outfield enough. I don't think he's very good in the outfield. I think he's just fine there. I think I mean his like his. I've never seen any like defensive metrics have him doing anything better than average. And he's he's a fine hitter. And he's had the last couple of years of his career been good. But I mean, I just get so worried when these new guys come to City Field, they get swallowed up. It's such a fear I have, and maybe it's just like un. It's not it's not warranted. But I get so scared when these guys come to City Field. By the way, just a little fun fact: Mark Hanna, seventy fourth percentile outs above average last year. That's oh, pretty there, good. Yeah, I was, I was um, on Fangraphs, so there, there you go. There's actually a rumor and a report that there's going to be humidors in all thirty baseball parks. That's this not year. a rumor nor report. That's one hundred percent real. Oh, it's fact. Okay, one hundred percent fact. Yeah, Boog Boog said it, clarified by Eno Cyrus. Okay, so that's actually kind of big for the Mets and City Field because there's actually theories that the humidor will reverse and make the ball more bouncy at City Field. Can I burst your bubble? Yes, do it for me. The Mets have had a humidor for two years. Oh, shit, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, then, well, fuck me. I guess they're yeah, right. to suck at, at him. Sorry about that. <laughs> this is the fucking jet streams, man. LaGuardia's killing us. Well, I mean, that was great. We haven't had a, a nice baseball argument in a while. Talking uh-huh. Canna, talking Conforto, talking Canna. We're not arguing enough. about Canna. Stop labeling me as a Canna hater. <laughs> no. Why did you tweet that the other day? It's not warranted. <laughs> I'm labeling you as a Canna hater. It's not true. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, we talked about Cano being a bum and then how great the Grom, Scherzer, Alonzo, Lindor, all the guys that matter look. Even Jeff McNeil getting some hits, looking like the old Jeff McNeil slapping the ball the other way. Love to see it. <laughs> Jeff had some some frustrating ground out today. Hey, and I saw him like it. I saw him clench, <laughs> but he didn't do it. He didn't throw anything yet. He's trying his hardest to not get <laughs> so insanely mad, and I respect it. That's called growth. And Jeff he's gonna be a father, he's growing. I actually had a Jeff McNeil. Really? Congratulations to Jeff. I didn't know that. Yeah, I think it's a couple couple months old. But yeah, okay, he's going to be a father. There was one thing I did want to mention about Jeff McNeil, and it's the, it seemed like the internal respect he still has as a hitter, because in the last two spring training games, he hit third and he hit leadoff. 
So I think that maybe some people, including us, have thought he might hit lower in the order. It seems like the Mets are still committed to giving him a primary uh, lineup spot. Yeah, he's pr- I, probably slots in it too, especially if Marte's kind of a little iffy. He's probably our two, two-ish hitter in that Possibly. area. Possibly, yeah, depending on how this goes. But I think that was important to note, that they still see him as a as a bat. Yes, yeah, so Jeff McNeil's a Buck Showalter player if I've ever seen one. Yeah, but <laughs> there were more stuff today. There was a clip that they went to Buck Showalter in like the second or third inning. And they were talking about his hand at the leadership, whatever. Todd Zeal was spewing nonsense as usual. <laughs> and Buck is just sitting in the dugout smelling a baseball. Oh, dude, me and my dad were talking about that. I was like, you see that? He's just taking rips of a baseball. It was, look, that was amazing. That's, that's a yes. I mean, I don't know if you guys that are listening have truly smelled the baseball, but it's a, fa- it's a fantastic smell. Like, if they can make a, an air freshener for that, I'd have it in my house. Dude, I, um, I, went, I hit in a cage for the first time in like five years the other day. With my buddy, went to like a beautiful, a beautiful youth baseball field in a hill in La Jolla <laughs> during the school day, and we just went to the cage with some balls and pitched to each other, and then threw it around the outfield after. What a, what a great time hitting is! I mean, I forgot. Yeah, we got softball games coming up here. We gotta get oh, ready. Yeah, next Saturday, right? Fuck yeah! But anyway, here guys, that's gonna be what we how we wrap it up here on episode number eighty of the Messed Up Podcast. Remember to drop us a review, a five star rating. We'll give you a shout out if you do. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, wherever you're listening. Make sure you're following us on Twitter and Instagram at Messed Up, as well as the YouTube channel Messed Up Podcast for video form content. Follow James on Twitter at Jeter Had No Range and me Giraffe Neck Mark at Giraffe Neck Mark with a C. And uh, yeah, we'll see you on the next episode of the Messed Up Podcast, guys. Peace out. Peace out, guys. Thanks for listening.